You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit houstonsfirst.org. If you got your Bible, I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2 after our wonderful time of worship and everything that's going on. And while you're turning there, I just want to tell you some great things that are going on at our church. We all know Sundays happen, and a lot of times people ask me, they'll say, well, what else do you do for the rest of the week? Anything else? You just work one day a week, or uh, what's going on? There's a lot of stuff going on, and just get you to, to know that as well so that you can celebrate with us. We have had all this weekend at our Siena campus a men's retreat going on. It's been incredible, and that's been a lot of fun. At our Cypress campus, we've got students that are going out. Uh, They're on a retreat actually this weekend. And we've got coming up next weekend with our students, Lift Weekend. So I hope students are a part of that, which is going to be great. Then we've got at our downtown campus this past week, we hosted uh, children's ministers, preschool ministers from across the nation came together at our downtown campus. And on Tuesday night, I got to speak to them. And that was a lot of fun in downtown campus. And then this week here at the Loop campus, on Friday, we had our Night to Shine, partnered with Tim Tebow. We had 600 volunteers and about 200 special needs friends, and it was awesome. Can we just give a cheer for all those things going on? It was really, really great. So fun to be a part of so many things. God is doing so many things in our church at all of our campuses, all of our ministries. I mean, it is like every day something is going on. I'll pass sometimes one of our campuses in the car and Kelly will say, well, what's going on? The parking lot's filled. I'll be like, I have no clue what's happening. It's just all the time there's stuff happening going on. So jump in, one, if you're not a part of something. And then two, just be very encouraged that God is at work in our city every single day. And that's for our church, sure, but that's for a lot of other churches as well. And so when you think about that, it's just really, really an encouragement. We've been talking about being a tool in God's hands. That's our series we're in. And on 2 Timothy chapter 2, that's the whole deal, is to be a tool in God's hands. He's going to tell Timothy, here's the things I want you to go for. Here's the things I want you to avoid. And we're going to be able to see that today. And I brought with me a special tool here, obviously a shovel, but this hangs in my office. This is the groundbreaking shovel from the early 70s for the Loop Campus. So where we're sitting right now, this was the shovel that turned the first dirt here for the Luke campus, which is pretty incredible to think about in the early 70s. And obviously we've been around since 1840s, but to be here at the Luke campus, and I just submit to you that without us moving from downtown out to the Luke campus at that time, which was way out in the boonies, that we wouldn't be here, if we wouldn't have gotten here, then we wouldn't have turned the shovel of dirt at the downtown campus, at the Cypress campus, at the Siena campus. God has used this tool in an amazing way. Now, somebody gave me a little education on this. I'm not a real shovel guy, but they said shovels with a point are what you use to dig. Shovels with a flat end are what you use to get the horse manure out of the barn. So sometimes church life can be stinky, okay? That's just how it goes. So apropos maybe that we started here, no mess, no ministry uh, is how things go sometimes. So here we've got a shovel here of a tool in God's hands that God did something great with that first bit of dirt. And here we sit now with three other campuses as well in a digital family, which in the 70s, we would have thought digital family was like robots, you know, I mean, what's going on? But to be able to go all over the world and to see God using it in an amazing way. And he wants you and me to be a tool in his hand as well. 
He wants to use you in the stage of life you're in. He wants to use you in the place you're in. If you're in a difficult time, he wants to use that in your life to take your misery and make it your ministry. If you're in the greatest thing in the world, then he wants to use the joy of the Lord to be your strength. God wants to use you and to use me to be a tool in God's hands. Now, I just admit to you as well that there's nothing better than being used by God. Nothing more exhilarating, nothing more fun, nothing more purposeful, nothing more legacy-oriented. And so let's learn through 2 Timothy as we continue and see what are the things we need to avoid. He's going to give us a couple of those. And what are the things we need to invest in. He's going to give us a couple of those that we could say to be a tool in God's hands. I'm going to have to let go of some sin. I'm going to have to get out of some stuff over here. But I'm also going to go for it over here. So look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Now, last week we talked about the big word. It was in verse eight. It was remember. Now we start out with another one of remind. Look at verse 14 and 15. We're gonna make it all the way to 19, but let's start here. Remind them of these things and charge them before God. So it's a big time. Not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. Be diligent, instead, be diligent and present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. The first thing that he gives us is to avoid useless words. Avoid useless words. He says, I want to remind you of something. I want you to avoid useless words. See, the church isn't supposed to be like the, the TV talk show, The View. That's not what we're about, right? Not just a bunch of chirping. We're not to be Cal Berkeley throwing out the latest new ideas. We're to be a place that stands on the word of God. We've already got the word. This is what we've got. And so we're not going for anybody else's opinion. We're not looking for a prince. We already got a king. And to be able to say, God, we want you to give us your word. So he's saying here to Timothy, who is the pastor of the church of Ephesus, Timothy, don't get all contained in useless words. Because here's what'll happen. When you lose your passion for God, you lose the mission for God, and then everything in the church just becomes intellect and talking. And we end up, well, we can end up in the church where all we're doing is debating theology. All we're doing is talking about stuff. All we're doing is saying things. The best way to get people to not complain in a church is to get people on mission. Because when you're on mission and you're going for it and you got a passion for what God's doing, you don't have enough time to be chirping around about stuff. So he's saying, Timothy, I don't want you to be about useless words. I don't want there to be a big debate. Married folks in the room, have you ever been in a fight with your spouse and at some point you don't even really know what you're fighting about? Or you know what you're fighting about and you think it's not worth this right now. But what happens is the useless words bring division, they bring anger, they bring problems. And all of a sudden, one little word thrown out can get the whole night off course, right? Or you can end up and you're in the battle and you're in the, the little bit of the tiff and you're like, I know this is useless, but I'm going for it anyway. The night's already ruined. Who cares? I want to win. <laughs> and you keep pushing forward. And he's like, no, useless words are useless. Mean what you say and say what you mean, right? And to be able to say, Timothy, I don't want y'all debating a bunch of things. I don't want you worried about a bunch of things. I want you trusting in the word of God. That's what it's going to be about. And I want to remind you of this. 
Now, all throughout the Bible, we have, I want you to remember, I want to remind you. If you looked into the book of Numbers in chapter 15, you would see you had these tassels to look at about the law to remind you to remember all the commandments of the Lord. Then you will remember all to obey all my commandments. Deuteronomy 9, remember. Deuteronomy 15, remember. Deuteronomy 16, remember. He said, I want you to remember. I want you to be reminded. I want you to know these things. In the New Testament, again, I say rejoice. Why does he have to say it again? Because we forgot the first time. Again, we need to understand the gospel and the good news of Jesus. Again, we need to understand we're on a mission from God. Again, we come to church on a Sunday to get our focus back right. Again, we worship and sing songs to the Lord. Again, why? To remind us because the repetition brings focus. The repetition brings focus. What you think about today? It's Super Bowl Sunday is what it is today, which is great. Every Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday because we come to church and we open up the Bible. We don't need a football game. We got a Super Bowl every day to be able to look and hear what God's going to say to us. But today in particular is Super Bowl Sunday. So let me do just a little survey here and let me ask you the question. We're going to ask how many Chiefs fans are there? You're going to raise your hand. We're going to ask how many 49ers fans are there? And we're going to raise your hand. We're going to ask how many of y'all don't care and you're just in it for the queso. That's going to be the third one that we're going to go for. Okay, ready? So how many Chiefs fans? Raise your hand, all campuses. All right, all right. How many 49ers fans? Okay, there we go. How many Queso fans? There we go. All right, there we go. Sunday morning, so I'm not going to ask how many Taylor Swift fans we got, but, you know, that's a big one going on too. I know. There we go. We got it. She'll write your number. We got it. Take your name, whatever the song is. I don't know. So we'll never, ever, ever, never uh, get back together. All right. I know how this rolls. I got it. I got it. Now think about today. You're going to hear a whole lot about Mahomes, the quarterback of the Chiefs. You're going to hear a whole lot about Brock Purdy, who is the, the quarterback of the 49ers. Amazing story on him in particular. And you're going to hear all about that. But I want to ask you the question. When you see them throw a touchdown pass, they probably both will a couple times. It's going to be a good game. How many passes do you think they've thrown to put it on a dime like that? Remind, remind, remind. What they are doing is they are over and over, since they were probably eight years old, throwing passes through tires, you know, to try to get it right there in the, in the middle or however they do it now in the, the NFL to be able to get it right there so that they could have muscle memory to be able to throw that pass without even thinking about it. Maybe from a back leg, getting sacked by a big 300 pound guy, they're gonna throw it and they're gonna hit it on a dime because they were reminded, they remember, their muscle memory is set. They've done it over and over and over again. And Paul's saying, I want you to remember Jesus Christ, verse eight. I want you to be reminded of what the mission of the church is, verse 14. And I want you to develop muscle memory as a believer in Christ of walking with God and standing on his word over and over. Not useless words, but God's words. Now, let me show you here in verse 14, one other thing I want you to see. Two things I want you to see, actually. It says this, remind them of these things. These things, not your things, not my things, not society's things, not the latest thing that's come in culture. These things, Timothy, this is what you got to be about. I want you to be about the word of God, teaching the word of God. We'll see it in just a minute. I want you to be about these things. 
And we as a culture have gotten off on teaching all sorts of things in church. We're not, uh, not focused on these things. We're on the opinion things. You don't need the word from Greg. You need the word from God. You need what God can tell you. You need what the Bible says. You don't need somebody's opinion. You don't need anybody preaching the news report on Sunday of what they heard on Friday. You need God's word. We need God's word of teaching these things. If not, that word ruined, do you see it a little bit further down in verse 14? This uselessness, this, this is useless and leads to ruin. That is the Greek word for catastrophe. When the word of God is not taught in the church to the people of God, it brings catastrophe. Do you feel like our society is upside down? Catastrophe literally means to turn something upside down. And he says, if the word of God's not being taught, you're going to see things go upside down. You just look at it in churches. You just look at it in our society and you'll see it upside down. Here's a good way to know if the teaching is true, if it's real teaching, if we're teaching from the word of God. Would this same message be preached 100 years ago? Or is this kind of the latest 20-year message? Is this a message that would be preached 200 years ago, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 1,500 years ago? And grade my sermon on it as well. Now, hundred years ago, they wouldn't wear the same thing I'm wearing. They wouldn't use visual aids like I'm using. There's a different packaging that can happen, but is it the word of God that's coming forward and being taught? And that's the question that we've got to ask. And I've said this before, if you're shopping for a church and you're looking around and you've popped in here and you don't, this in your place, that's totally cool. That's not a problem. We understand there's a lot of great churches, but you go to a church that teaches the Bible and where people bring their Bible. You don't go to a church where they're preaching the newspaper. You go to the church where they're preaching the word of God and letting God do his work. And that's what he's saying, Timothy. I don't want you to get on a whole bunch of, uh, of tangents. This isn't the view. This isn't just a bunch of opinions. This is God's word being taught. And those useless words of backbiting are gonna bring ruin and catastrophe to those people and to that church. Nehemiah chapter six. I love Nehemiah. It's a great book. If you're a leader, you need to be reading Nehemiah because Nehemiah, it's a great leadership book. Anybody should read it, obviously. Nehemiah chapter six, people are coming against him. Enemies are coming against him. They send him a letter. They said, come off the wall. He's building a wall. Come off the wall and we want to talk to you. And Nehemiah says in chapter six, verse two, he said, should I leave this great work to come and talk to you? He said, I, I don't, I'm not into useless words. I got a great work going. And I'm going to be focused on that. Let's be Nehemiah. Let's go for it. Because then we'll see in verse 15 where our greatest approval comes from, where God is. Look at verse, verse, 15, verse 15, what he wants to do here. Be diligent. So here's the positive. Don't use useless words. Instead, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, correctly teaching, underline that in your Bible, correctly teaching what? the word of truth. If we're gonna be a tool in God's hands then we gotta be a people of God's word. And he says, I want you to present yourself as one approved as a worker of God. Instead of false teaching, instead of just a bunch of words, instead remember our greatest approval comes from God. Our greatest approval comes from God. Now, let me, just, let me just sit down in my chair for a second. Let me just calm down a moment. Let me just be your shepherd for just a second. Will you let me shepherd you? Many of us are seeking approval. Not approval from God. We're seeking approval from man. And some of you have been seeking the approval of your dad your entire life. And you're not going to get it. 
You've been seeking the approval of your workplace, your boss, your vocation. And you've been going up every rung, every rung, every rung. And now you're here and you thought here would feel different than it felt here. And you still are the same person from here and here. And you're seeking that next trophy, that next dollar, that next client, that next office, that next title, that next business card. And even if you get it, it won't get to your heart. Soon some of you are seeking the approval of people you won't know in two years. You won't even remember their names. And don't sell your soul to get the approval of man at any age. You and I, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, already have the approval of God. And so now, watch this, this changes everything. Now you work from approval, not for approval. Now you're married from approval, not for approval. Now I preach from approval, not for approval. So that the word of God, which goes against culture in many, many different ways, that I can stand on the word of God. I can walk in the word of God. I can walk as a believer in the word of God. I can stand true to the word of God. When all of culture says I should do this, I'm gonna do that because I'm Nehemiah and I don't have time to be doing all this chatter over here. You see it? And so the approval of God, the Father in heaven is yours as a gift through a relationship by Jesus Christ. And you receive that because you're never gonna be the prettiest. You're never gonna be the most handsome. You're never gonna be the richest. You're never gonna be whatever. And even if you are, it won't make it to your soul. So Paul says, oh, Timothy, present yourself to God approved as a workman correctly handling the truth. And I just ask you, I just ask you, where is your approval coming from? What do you, who do you need to tell you you did good? Who do you need to give you a stroke? Who do you need to tell you they love you? Let all that come from Jesus. And when God approves you, you'll make it through anything. And you will live your life from approval, not for approval. And that will change everything. Because now there's a strength in you. We answer to God, not man. Be aware of people pleasing. Men are fickle. God is faithful. You trust in him and let him be your approval. That happens here with Timothy as a worker who does not need to be ashamed, correctly teaching. Now, in those days, they had Gnosticism. It's a a false teaching that all the body was bad and all the spirit was good and it was not about Christ. In this time here in Ephesus where Timothy is teaching, there's the temple of Diana. It's, It's really amazing structure. All these columns of a fertility goddess that is being taught about here in Ephesus. And he says, no, you stand true on the word of God and you teach the word of God. Don't go with the flow of culture. Don't let it infiltrate the church. You submit to the Lord and you rightly handle the truth of the word of God. Do you see what it says? Correctly teaching. Now that's an amazing, amazing word there. It means to cut straight, to cut straight. So think about a seamstress, got to cut straight. Think about a leather worker, maybe in these days, making tents, cut straight. Think about a bricklayer. You don't want a brick wall like this, cut straight. You want it right. So are we cutting corners in our faith? Are we cutting corners at the office? Are we cutting corners in our our workplace? Are we cutting corners with our friends and our schools, our sports teams? Are we cutting straight? He says, I want you to correctly teach the word. I want you to cut straight. This is a Greek word, orthotomeo. Now, I wonder if ortho, you ever heard of an orthodontist that straightens teeth? 
Have you ever heard of orthopedics, which straightens your body? Do you know about orthodoxy, which is straight belief, so that we could have orthopraxy, straight practice? So this word ortho is coming from here. He said, I want you to have straight teaching. Now, let me, let me show you a, a converse of that in the book of Acts, chapter 13. We'll put it on the screen. You can just, just read it from the screen. Verse 9 and 10. But Saul, who is also called Paul, Paul wrote this, is writing to Timothy. So we're getting a cross-reference here. But Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen to how he's described. Filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at Elimus. That's scary. And said, you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery, you son of the devil and enemy of all that is right. Is Paul a straight shooter or what? <laughs> Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? You see it? He calls him out and he says, you're perverting the straight paths of the Lord. Teach, teach straightly. Now, unfortunately, in our chapter of life and in Christianity, there's not just straight teaching everywhere that there is. What we have done is we have taken kind of our thoughts and biblical truth and mixed them together and called them today's Christianity. So we as Americans, we're hard workers. There's no, no doubt about it. We're going to be bootstrap pull up. We're hard workers. We didn't get this country to be where it is after these couple hundred years without being hard workers, but we can take that and we can shove it and we won't receive the, shove it down into our lives and we, can, we won't receive the grace of Jesus Christ because salvation is not based on works. It's based on a free gift of Jesus Christ. And we as, uh, as Texans, as Americans, we could say, hey, we got to get the economy back. We got to get this going. We got to get this rolling. We got to get this. We got to get that. We're going to go up and to the right. We need to see the stocks go up. We need to see oil go up. We need to see all these things. We need to make more money, save more money, get more money so we can spend more money, all these sort of things. So doesn't it make sense that we would then take that and combine it in here and say, you know what? God wants me to be rich. And there would be a health and wealth gospel didn't start in the poverty places, it started in the rich places. That seemed to make sense. We just meld that all together. We who have rights, look at God and say, what right do you have to bring me this trial in my life? We who have freedoms, how can you tell me, God, that there's morality and that there's lines on the highway? See it? And we mix all this stuff together and then we throw it out and we say, well, that's Christianity. And I'm telling you this, God's not looking for you and me to be a jury. He's already been the judge and he's got his word and this is how it works and this is how it goes. And those issues end up taking control of our life. I'll give you a few false teachings. Number one, follow your heart. Don't follow the scripture, just follow your heart. Whatever you feel, whatever you want, you just do that. That's false teaching. Godly living is going to bring you prosperity. You live for God, you're going to get rich. Anybody in here got an amen that you didn't get rich? I'm walking with God. Yeah. I think there's a lot of us. They're like, I don't think that works for me, right? But here's the truth, really. If you wanted to know, all of us are rich. Just the fact that we live in the country we live in, right? So we all got something to steward. But in our perspective, we're not, right? Because we're comparing ourselves to somebody else. Right choices will get you the perfect life. no. God will never give you more than you can handle. False teaching. God will often give you more than you can handle. Because if you could handle it, you would, and you'd never trust him. If you try harder, you can be right with God. Not true. It's by grace. I deserve better than what I've got. 
Whatever God's given you, you take that and you steward that and you let God work that out in your life. You walk with an approval from the Father in the word of God. So I just ask you this before we get to our next, next point. Do you love this word? I mean, do you love the Bible? Here's the goal. Here's the whole message. Here's what I'm trying to do with all of this. That we would be people that would love the word of God more than our own opinions, more than our own perspectives, more than our own desires, that we love the word of God. Let me ask you, church, do you gargle the word of God on Sundays or do you drink the word of God on Sundays? Is this just something in your mouth on Sunday and you're drinking something else Monday through Saturday? Or are you drinking of the living word of God, the living water prophesied through the Old Testament, Jesus, the savior of God, come in the New Testament to live a sinless life. It's not all roads lead to heaven. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the father except by him through Jesus Christ, his death on the cross to bring salvation to your soul and my soul through the grace of Jesus Christ to trust in his resurrection that I will rise again from the grave and he's coming back on a white stallion and he's coming back in a second coming of Jesus Christ. Do you love the word of God? Do we love this word? Yes. Oh, I hope we do. Because guess what? Everything else is gonna change all the time. As the flower fades, as the grass withers, the word of God stands forever. For he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Place your faith on the rock solid approval of God through Jesus Christ and let the wind blow because now you're walking from approval, not for approval. So they could say whatever they wanna say, you're not coming off the wall, you're walking with God. See it? Changes everything. And he says, Timothy, oh young, sickly and afraid Timothy, you hold firm you don't walk in catastrophe, you walk in truth. Now let me show you verse 16, 2 Timothy verse 16. Here's what he's gonna tell us to avoid. Avoid irreverent, empty speech, since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness and their teaching will spread like gangrene. Let's get gross for a minute, gangrene. Hymenaeus and Philetus are among them. Now, what did they do? They have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection had already taken place and that the res, and, and excuse me, and are ruining the faith of some, meaning that they didn't believe in a, in a bodily resurrection, that the resurrection, that couldn't be true. And then verse 19, we'll get to in just a second. So those two guys, we don't know a lot about them, but we know that they were in the church, it appears to be, and they begin to teach falsely. And Paul calls them out. And he says, those guys are not teaching the truth. And I want you to get away from that. I want you to believe in the resurrection, that Jesus rose again from the grave, that you're gonna rise again from the grave when you die, when he comes again. And so he says, I want you though at the beginning in verse 16, avoid irreverent and empty speech, avoid godlessness, avoid godlessness. Now that word avoid is a big word, like get away from it. Don't put your foot in the deep end of the pool and see how godlessness goes. Don't kind of embrace it a little bit. Don't bring a, the skunk into your house. Get it out, keep it away, and avoid godlessness. Now, all of us have experienced this, either on your phone or on your GPS in your car. You're driving along, you got your map set, you know where you're going, and you see that the road is going just fine, and all of a sudden you see yellow on the map, and then you see red on the map, right? And there it is, it's this red, not a red light, green light, but red on your GPS. And what does that mean? That means it's to a dead stop. And we know that in Houston, Texas, what that's like. We are familiar with that. And what happens when you see that red? You start thinking, how can I avoid this? Can I get off on this exit and then get back on at the next exit? 
Can I get off at this exit and go through the, the, uh, uh, the neighborhood? And I, I bet this is a lot of men drivers in here. So lot, wives, you just kind of just nudge your husband here because this is me. This is what I do. I would re- rather be a longer trip, but still be moving. And so my wife would be like, why are we exiting? Well, because it's red. We, I, we are going to beat the system is what we're going to do. So we start going through all sorts of neighborhoods. We get lost. We get in cul-de-sacs. We get in all these sort of things. We try to beat the system. We end up in another place. Er, left and right turn. We get out of it again. We start going. Because I would rather be moving than stop following ways, following Google, following all these experts to tell me what's going on. I'd rather go all the way around. Well, here's what it's saying. I want you to avoid it, not because you're going to beat the system, but I want you to avoid it because it's going to wreck your car. It's not just there's traffic. There's a bridge out is what he's saying. And I want you off that road. Avoid godlessness, irreverent and empty speech because it's like gangrene. It spreads like gangrene. Now, let me give you two things on this. That Greek word of spread, it means to give pasture, to give pasture. So imagine a cow of false teaching comes in and you give it pasture so that you can eat and you can get stronger and you can make little baby cows and you can have more cows. We can have a herd of cows and we'll get pasture for this. And he says, no, I don't want you to do that with false teaching. You need to stick to the word of God. If it's not in the word of God, if it wasn't preached a hundred years ago, then you need to really look at it. And what we've done in American culture, we haven't just given pasture. We've said, hey, how about a salt lick and some oats? And we'll just feed it. And we'll just feed man's ideas. And we'll say, well, you know what? If Those 10 guys got together in a conference room and decided there's no resurrection. There must not be a resurrection. And I'm telling you, the word of God is gonna outlast any man, any woman's thoughts. Don't give it pasture in your life. Don't give it pasture because it'll spread like gangrene. What is gangrene? Gangrene is when the tissues die because blood does not make it to the tissue anymore. The blood's not making it to the tissue and so it dies. That's what gangrene is. And I submit to you that the blood of Jesus Christ needs to make it to every aspect of our church. The blood of Jesus Christ needs to make it to every aspect of your family. The blood of Jesus Christ needs to make it to every aspect of your workplace, needs to make it to every aspect of your heart. We understand when blood's not flowing like it should, it's a stent, it's a bypass, it's open heart surgery, it's your arm is numb, your leg is numb, something's going wrong. You gotta get that blood out. And the blood of Jesus Christ prevents the gangrene in the church And too often we've given it pasture. And the solution is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for you and for me so that he could live in our hearts and the blood could flow. Where there is blood, there is life. And so God using that in a great way. In the last verse of scripture, I want you to hear it solidify and we'll wrap up. Nevertheless, verse 19, God's solid foundation stands firm. Bearing this inscription, think about in Ephesus, they would inscribe on buildings what the purpose of the building was. Inscribe it in stone. What's inscribed? The Lord knows those who are his. He's got you. You got his approval. And let everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, if you're a believer in Christ, what are we to do? Turn away from wickedness. Walk in holiness. Seek the Lord. Avoid the bridge out roads and let God do his work. An inscription is a powerful thing. It's not just a come and go thing. It's not get washed away in the sand thing. God has inscribed something in you and in me. I belong to him and I want to walk with God. You know, there's inscriptions all over Washington, D.C. In stone, 
Supreme Court, the east facade, the backside of the Supreme Court, it's Moses holding the Ten Commandments inscribed in stone. In the House of Representatives, the House Chamber, there's 23 lawgivers all around the top uh, wall that's there, and they're all a profile except for one, which is Moses, and it's a full face looking straight at the center place there where it says, in God we trust. The top of the Washington Monument is Psalm 146. It says, praise be to God at the top of the Washington Monument. Monument. The Jefferson Memorial is Psalm 145, where he, he quotes that psalm in his statement. He says, indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. That's Psalm 145. The Lincoln Memorial, Lincoln says, this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. That's a new birth of John chapter three of being born again. Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial, we determined here in Montgomery to work and to fight until justice rolls down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. That, my friend, is Amos chapter 5, verse 24. Union Station, the train station in D.C., has John chapter 8, verse 32, and it says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Inscribed all of all, all over our nation's capital is the word of God, declaring the truth of God. And I'm telling you this, if you're going to be a tool in the hands of God, that is going to be your greatest joy, your greatest passion, then you're going to have to shovel out some dung in your life and you're going to have to get some righteousness in your life through the grace of Jesus Christ and allow him to use you. When you stand saying, God, I want to be a tool in your hands because of this word in my heart. He'll take you through anything. He'll use you in anything. Oh, young Timothy, don't wrangle about useless words. It doesn't matter. The word of God is the truth. Father, we come in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for rich history of our church. But Lord, we're asking for a rich future. Now it's our watch. Now it's our time. What will we do with it? Father, may we not gargle today. May we drink today. May your word get deep within us. May your word be loved so much we read it tonight before bed. We read it tomorrow morning before work, before school. We think about it during the day. We write it on a note card to put on our desk, to tape to our computer screen. We won't be satisfied with anything but preaching of the word. We wouldn't look for other ideas. We come to the creator. Thank you, God. Last thing before we worship for a song and then we'll be dismissed. The word of God says that Jesus Christ loves you. That God sent his son for you. And once you put your faith in him, you can have everlasting eternal life. Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? Pray and ask his forgiveness right now and ask him to save your soul. If you have trusted him, are you gargling or are you drinking? Are you walking with him? Can you love his word more? Cut straight. Be approved in him. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen.
Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations, at The Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.